another edition of the IDCA to Infinity Paradigm and Beyond podcast, where we bring in the most recognized faces and thought leaders of the technology industry and have candid discussions on topics pertaining to important trends affecting IT leadership today. This time I am joined by Ralph Laura, CIO for Lumentum. Ralph, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. It's great to be here. Thank you very much. And uh, Ralph, give us a little background. I know that uh, you're CIO today at Lumentum, but um, you've had several uh, C-level positions over the last 10 years. Uh, can you talk about them a little bit? Sure, sure. I've been a, a serial uh, technology leader, uh, CIO, CTO uh, roles in various industries from online e-commerce to at, at a company called Rodan and Fields to uh, CIO for the enterprise group at Hewlett Packard um, to large scale uh, computer and and network and, and equipment manufacturer. Uh, before that, I was CIO for the Clorox company, a large global consumer goods uh, company. And uh, before that, CIO for a, uh, a pharmaceutical company uh, in the mid-market uh, called Medicis. So I've been in multiple industries, kind of large scale, medium scale, uh, massive scale roles. Uh, and, uh, and at Lamentum, I'm, uh, I'm back to tech again. We're a a uh, medium size for about a billion six and change uh, uh, company that makes uh, optical photonic solutions uh, that power the modern world. Everything from uh, 3D sensors in, in phones and tablets to uh, uh, switching equipment, uh, anything with an optical uh, transmission or transport or data center connection, uh, odds are uh, our technology plays a role. That's awesome. I mean, that, that's a, an amazing history of uh, not only breadth, but also um, uh, distribution across verticals um, uh, that gives uh, someone a terrific uh, exposure to what makes up the, the, the system and the environment of the CIO or IT leader and how they can impact the business. So fantastic and congratulations. Um, before I jump into some uh, of the geek speak that we're likely going to do, Tell me a little bit about uh, Ralph. What are you like to do on the weekends or, um, you know, what's important to you outside the office? Well, I've always believed kind of in the philosophy of, uh, of work hard and play harder. Um, so I have, have had the pleasure of working in very dynamic global environments, which mean uh, lots of long hours. And, you know, tonight, for instance, I'll be on a few conference calls into the later evening because I'm speaking to some folks in Japan um, but you trade that off against trying to create uh, some sort of uh, family life and time out of the office. It's fulfilling and rewarding and exciting to you as well. So for me, that includes things like uh, road bike riding. Uh, I've become a, a Peloton uh, aficionado when the weather doesn't cooperate or time to get out on yep. the road bike. Um, yep. My wife and I love to travel, love to entertain. Um, uh, so for instance, this weekend, we're heading up to Napa with some dear friends, uh, somebody's uh, 50th birthday and her uh, something's birthday as, as well. And, uh, just kind of enjoying, uh, enjoying people and, and wine and food and, and, you know, different points of view. That's awesome. Well, I, um, I certainly, uh, uh, enjoy, um, many of your, uh, after work, um, play hard activities, uh, vicariously and, um, having this, the, to fight your way through Napa Valley on a regular basis is, is one of those areas where I'd love to be able to help you out more often. There you go. So, Ralph, the work you've been doing in um, 
at Lamentum. I mean, you haven't been with Lamentum that long, but you've already really kind of jumped in and, and um, uh, made an effort to modernize and, and bring the capabilities of modern cloud and AI and ML, et cetera, to the business. And, and in fact, you mentioned before a project you're working on to move large volumes of data out to the AWS cloud um, and apply AI and ML against them. Can you tell us a little bit about that project and how it got started and, and, and what you're seeing today? Sure. So, um, so quick, quick education a bit on the manufacturing industry, particularly kind of uh, the component or module manufacturing space, as well as uh, semiconductor space. Um, generally, you've got this equipment, there's, you're generating lots of signal, right? So you're generating every step of the way, me test measurements, you've got in the, in the wafer fab industry, high, everything from high res images of the wafer to try to detect uh, uh, various attributes, uh, you know, as, par as part of the manufacturing process. You've got parametric data around certain characteristics of, of those chips that get generated uh, and just waves and waves of data are uh, kind of roll off of these, these lines. And then on the module side, you've got your MES systems that are generating lots of uh, information as you move from step to step through the manufacturing process. Uh, that information's gold, right? It, it's um, everything from uh, kind of boring things like what my work in progress or WIP looks like or yield looks like to a much more interesting things um, that we can use to manage quality, uh, to manage uh, um, uh, at, you know, uh, performance attributes of products as they come off the line and so on. So big challenge right there. These are kind of remote locations and often uh, kind of out where WAN circuits are a, a little uh, a little unreliable or maybe not high bandwidth. Uh, and you've got to solve for this, this data problem. So traditionally, that means a decent size, uh, you know, compute environment where you're storing uh, data, you're managing lots of different computers on the line itself, uh, uh, be it PCs or, or servers, and then, uh, you know, large volume uh, storage uh, location to store the potentially petabytes of data coming off of these environments on a weekly basis. Um, that can get time consuming, expensive. And then, of course, the, the value of any of the data is using it, putting it to use, to, to see patterns in it, to analyze it. And if I've got to kind of reach all the way back or crawl through a VPN or a WAN tunnel to get to the node that's sitting in, in Thailand or or Shenzhen or something, um, it just makes it more difficult to work with large data sets globally. So as part of that, we said, hey, what we really want is a multi-tiered model here where of course I'm gonna have local storage because I've got you know data coming off, I'm gonna need to put that someplace. I wanna ensure that I'm capturing and I'm not losing, I'm not quote unquote spilling data all over the, the floor that I'm, I'm capturing that as it comes off those lines. Um, but then I wanna do something with it. Some people would call edge these days. I've got a pretty classic edge use case um, where I want to do some localized storage, some localized processing, but I also want to do a collectively and centrally. And so the balance here is that in our case, we're largely using a, a Nutanix stack at that edge as my edge compute platform, uh, capturing a lot of that information, storing it. And then I'm in uh, uh, as real time as possible, also pushing a copy of that data up into the AWS cloud, uh, storing it in a large, a large cluster. It, it's, it's, this is both structured, semi-structured and unstructured data. Um, and I'm uh, uh, pushing that up. And then of course, I've got the flip side of that problem, which is I've got petabytes of data being shoved into the cloud on a weekly basis that I don't necessarily want to store forever because it's, you know, kind of 
uh, a value is in the in the moment and then in the in the sometimes the longitudinal exercise. So how do I store that efficiently, conveniently, and so that access is is uh, is present over time without having an ever a logarithmically increasing you know kind of AWS uh, storage and compute bill. So we built out this environment. We use a number of tools to synchronize that data or, or siphon the data off and up to the cloud. Unfortunately, we're still relatively manually managing the, the archival or deletion process in the back end of age data out and consolidate, although we're doing some work to try to automate, largely using some ML and a little bit of RPA to kind of try to automatically clean, cleanse and manage the data volume. And then um, we're doing some interesting things with classic ML um, where, so wafer fab images, for instance, are being evaluated by a, uh, you know, a, a person who's, you know, at the end of the line, um, inspecting those images at high res, you know, reading those for quality and, and other things. Um, we've been, you know, image recognition models so that they're now as good as, or in many cases, better than, uh, in terms of accuracy, um, better than a human doing that job. And of course, much, much faster and, and more efficient than a human do, doing that job. Oh, that's, I mean, that's just amazing number of examples of, of the power of utilizing what's available to you both at the edge and, and um, in between and in the cloud. Uh, you know, you, you talked about the edge and you, you kind of, um, uh, if you said it, I missed it somehow, but you didn't talk too much about um, the potential opportunity from an edge standpoint uh, in your fabs or in your manufacturing locations yeah. for um, immediate benefit or opportunity associated with the edge rather than um, you know, less immediate, I mean, which could be measured in minutes, hours, days, or yep. weeks, trend information. What are you guys doing there? Anything? Well, so, you know, most edge use cases that you hear about in the kind of all the, the buzz and sex appeal these days are things like autonomous vehicles and drones and these kind of things playing off the latency benefit that, that, that it's, you know, some of the lowest latency kind of 5G and edge kind of, uh, kind of play. But I see other opportunities. So in our case, the connected factory um, sort of use case. So I've got lots of data coming offline and, you know, I don't care if it's a millisecond or 10 milliseconds, you know, that's not meaningful to me, but a minute or two hours, that is meaningful. Yeah. And so it's not the latency play for me, it's the edge processing power and what I can do that's meaningful. So if I can begin to run again, as opposed to having human beings analyze or having a uh, you know, some some number being crunched or some, uh, um, uh, you know, information queue being created uh, in, the, in, a, in a batch process that later gets turned into a report that someone gets two hours after the fact. If I can instead turn that into a real-time signal that shows up visually on the factory floor uh, so that halfway through a line, I may be able to detect a quality problem at step three. By the time a, a, a product gets to step six, and stop the line and go correct that versus waiting until two hours later till I'm done with that batch run. And then I go back and understand that I may have an issue that I've got to go address and I have rework and so on to do. So for us, timeliness of, can I find the pattern early? Can I stop that? Can I in real time connect that signal from that third workstation in the factory line? Can I connect it to the factory monitor in the factory manager's office? So he sees the line go red in real time, understands that uh, he or she can, what they can do to act to make a difference. Maybe it's all plant engineers or 
R&D engineers that might be eight time zones away that a problem just occurred with an engineering change that they just made and so on. It just shortens my cycle to discover, it shortens my cycle to respond, and it shortens my cycle to remediate those issues that can end up being very costly in an extended supply chain environment. So all of that's, I would argue, is probably still more vision than real, but that's what we're headed toward in deploying uh, some of this edge base. Uh, the real-time connected factory uh, is a model that we think is, is will meaningfully, meaningfully differentiate us in the marketplace. No, absolutely. I mean, this is fantastic stuff. And, you know, it's funny that um, you're actually doing it. And, and I've just talked about it a little bit relative to the potential for AI, ML, and IoT and, and edge compute uh, on the factory floor as a real obvious opportunity. And, and what you've just spelled out is um, is my all of my assumptions and more about the potential opportunity. Uh, you know, so, you know, from a, there's a, there's a difference between you know, where you'd like to be and where you are now and, and what the longer term potential opportunity is. And, you know, assuming you were done with what you want to do right now, um, how, how far along would that put you in the, in the continuum of, of getting, what, getting to where you really think you could be on the factory floor? Yeah, so like I said, so, so we've got some work to do on our MES and bring them to current so I can pull that signal that I really want to. And there's some interesting technology there as well, as opposed to implementing you know, new SCADA systems and new you know, IoT devices. Um, we've been talking to some startups that do some interesting things, like I can add a, a little technology, I can you know, uh, uh, glue a little uh, uh, box on the side of the machine that doesn't have any IoT or SCADA intelligence, et cetera. And based on the, the vibration pattern in the machine, I can understand what cycle count might be or what's occurring. And I can, so I can add intelligence to a 30 year old box that never dreamed of being on the internet before uh, in some discrete and interesting ways. So we're starting to do some stuff like that. Um, but to me, it's, it's digitally enabling everything. So part of this is I wanna measure, be able to measure or tap or see sense, sense data off of almost any device in the environment. The second thing is we still deploy technology in a fairly traditional way on the factory line, I've got you know keyboards and mice and PC screens and a PC at every workstation where someone's interacting with an MES program or a data collector or something or printing serial numbers or whatnot. And to me, that's pretty old school. There's the there's the labor cost and the technology cost of deploying all that, of managing it at the edge and managing full stack devices where I don't need to. So one of the transitions for us is to move to a model, and this is something where 5G makes a difference in the factory. I can install. Uh, high enough bandwidth, very low latency. So I've got real-time kind of feedback on a touchscreen, touch, you know, low-cost touchscreen devices that are IP addressable uh, on each of those factory stations, you know, running something like a Raspberry Pi uh, um, box in the back, back of it. And um, so have almost zero cost to deploy technology almost anywhere in the factory, not worrying about cabling or anything else. And then run that through some centralized edge compute where I've got a VM or a a VDI based model. So I've got uh, a lot easier to deploy, easier to manage, et cetera, uh, uh, technology and lower risk from a attack surface and, and technology space as well. Yeah. And then That's... second from that, it's yeah. really changing to this, this environment where um, once I can make everything into an object that exudes signal, then I can start doing digital clone and I can start modeling a lot of things much more efficiently and effectively than, than I do today.
and that begins to change the game on the R&D side, the new product introduction side, uh, and so on. Well, that's awesome. I mean, just so much potential there. And, and um, you know, when I, when I think about all that, first of all, congratulations. I mean, I think you're doing fantastic work, and, and uh, I think Lumentum will definitely see the benefit of this um, uh, for a long time to come. Uh, what, what have you seen, you know, and I'm going to kind of loop this question into the whole business transformation or digital transformation um, story, but well, what have you had to do or has there been any um, cultural or, you know, people process uh, stuff that's had to been work on, worked on where formally either the information wasn't even available or the information could only be reacted to, you know, on, a, on an end of day or end of week kind of basis? What, what's had to change in order for the, the, the immediate organization around the specific changes you're making to react in real time in order to maximize the benefit of the changes you've made? But then even, you know, from the business transformation standpoint, the next level, so maybe the second part of that question would be, uh, you know, how about the rest of the organization? How, how are you becoming the envy of most uh, IT leaders who are always asked for real-time data, but um, whose real-time data doesn't get acted on for two to four weeks? Well, so I'm, I'm blessed there. I've got an incredible visionary CEO who understands the, the competitive nature of our landscape and where data can be different. I've got a, an, an interesting um, mix of, of uh, business leaders that are all, again, very action-oriented, very roll-up-your-sleeves tactical in the way we work. So nobody's working on spreadsheets, uh, I mean, on PowerPoint or, you know, kind of whiteboard diagrams. We're all, like, looking at real problems. How do we solve? How do we create a better value for our customer and, and so on. And so as an example, our head of quality and engineering um, is a proponent of and a, and a, and a long-term master and practitioner of Lean Six Sigma, you know, Kaizen uh, process models and so on. And so Kaizen is this lovely <clears throat> process uh, that comes out of the Toyota manufacturing system of the 70s that basically says, uh, I should be using data to measure everything, measure everything continuous improvement against what I measured, measure it again. Um, and and uh, so there's this innate thought, thoughtfulness and action in almost everything we do in the operations or manufacturing side of the business around uh, get a hunger for data, data that's as current as possible, data that's as accurate as possible, so that I can use that to make real-time decisions around. Better aligned set of business partners that really get it. Right. Right. I mean, and that's, you know, just kind of a, a kind of joking, but not really. Um, you know, it, it, it sounds like your CEO is smart enough not to hire for um, uh, a cost center IT. Yeah, certainly. Um, I've had those roles before. They're, um, <clears throat> I, I would say they're, they're sufficient, but not necessarily interesting jobs, certainly at the, I guess the stage of my career. And so, my career's mostly been around playing the tra the role of transformation agent or you know di digital leader and that's what drew me to this role and part partly uh, based on alan's vision um what's interesting i see i think as well is there's this um you know I, i've mentioned in the in the intro you know i played roles in consumer goods and you know e-commerce uh, skincare company and a pharma company and so on <clears throat> One of the advantages I've had by being in the CIO role in various industries is the ability to kind of look across these and see, try to see patterns. 
I think patterns are fascinating. And one of the patterns I think that we've, we've lived in the last decade or more is we've been in a, the platform era, right? It's been the, are you, what ERP platform are you on? Uh, who's uh, a collaboration platform? Are you Google platform? Are you the Microsoft Office suite platform? You know, what, uh, are you on Salesforce or in Workday? And everybody's a platform. <clears throat> and I think what's interesting, as we move into digital transformation, everybody starts by following the same playbook. Um, they're starting with the same uh, uh, approach, which is, hey, I need to do machine learning or I want to use AI. And the question is, gee, are you, uh, are you Watson or are you Einstein? Right? Are, you, are you in the IBM landscape or are you in the Salesforce landscape? Well, you know, there's a thousand ways to do ML. Or yeah. Google, I can build it on top of TensorFlow directly. I can go build on top of the Amazon uh, stack. I can build in, in, in a thousand different environments. Um, so why am I paying the quote unquote platform tax to go, to go live in the platform world that we've, we've just spent, spent the last decade kind of, kind of building in? So the analogy I would make is, so you're a baker or a woodworker or a seamstress. Well, if you're trying to get into that as an amateur, you start by buying woodworking plans or a kit and you follow those plans precisely make sure it all fits together to make the birdhouse or whatever it is you're trying to do. Well, that's kind of the first wave of IT digital. You're buying the yep. pre-built kit from somebody who went out and built a set of bots and built a set of tools and trained their A model for you know, solving help desk tickets or something. And you're buying those things pre-built because pre-constructed and you're assembling them on site because that's the way you get started. But over time, you become an accomplished baker, an accomplished woodworker. You're doing your own unique design. So you're adapting or tallering things. You're buying source materials and creating your own uh, built to build the suit or your own, you're, you're fulfilling your own vision. That's where I think really leading edge digital leaders are headed. So it means I'm going to buy a kind of ver SaaS vertical solution. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to kind of, kind of go through the, motions in some places, depending on the, where, what I'm trying to solve for, where you know, maybe my backend financials, I'm going to continue to run my ERP platform on Oracle or, or, or Dynamics or, or, or SAP. But boy, where I'm, where I, the space I'm in, we're a manufacturing company, I'm going to be out there going, you know, I'm not going to necessarily build my connected factory on top of a set of commercial platforms. I'm going to go build using open source offerings, building, creating a team of builders as opposed to a team of configurators to start creating assets, creating unique, my own unique recipe or patterns for creating value on the edge. Um, because I think that's the future of true digital transformation is moving away from the dependency upon someone else's recipe and beginning to, to move out on your own. Right. Right. No, I think that's great advice. And I, I think it's a great way to look at the, um, at the problem space. Um, so, you know, you, um, I know uh, just even just based on the roles you've had and, and some of the industries you've been in that you've always been extremely customer focused. What do you, what do you see, you know, both from an internal customer standpoint an employee standpoint and engagement, et cetera, and, and an opportunity to work more closely with partners or end customers uh, in your business. Yeah. How do you see the transformation impacting that story? Well, it's interesting. I think for, <clears throat> user centricity or customer centricity, um, particularly from an IT narrative, talk, so let's start with the user space, internal user space. I think there's a sort of misperception that it means, um, you know, letting people buy expensive gadgets, like the latest Android or iPhone, the latest tablet, the highest end, you know, computer money can buy, 
big monitors and so on. Like it's all about consumption because it started in this consumer kind of consumption it drove some of that shift. But right. I think that's a misperception in the enterprise. Um, so much like, you know, change the way we think about software. Um, I think uh, user centricity is going through its own sort of model there. So um, it's not necessarily about having fancy, shiny devices that are locked down and managed by IT. Um, it's really about creating a framework where I've got freedom to innovate and act appropriately to drive better user outcomes while you know, anchoring down the four or five things like that are really important from a, from a policy or choice perspective to keep, to keep things grounded. So let me give you an example. Um, I, I joined here and I went through what our, what our uh, uh, mobile device um, you know, policy is. So who do we provision devices to? How, uh, how often do we provide them? How often do we upgrade them? What's the, how do you expense them and so on? And it's a, you know, it's like a six-page legal document. It looks like something written by a, by a committee of lawyers, uh, because you know it's kind of oriented around this idea of policy and policy enforcement. Right. That's not the way you build a user-centric culture. Uh, maybe a better example is our current work-from-home policy or our telework or remote work policy. Um, it again was a six-page document that talked about eligibility and. Uh, for the role and so on and so on and what your re responsibilities were and how you were going to be measured and so on. Our current policy statement or our current what we call cultural norm for uh, uh, flexible or remote work is six words. Entire policy is six words. Six and words if I nice. stole this, I stole this honest to be honest from a Twitter conversation with uh, a, another uh, a, a common friend of ours. And the six words are communicate be available, and do your job. Nice. So if you communicate, hey, I'm going to yeah. be out of the office today or I'm coming in at noon because I was on a 10 o'clock call last night. Hey, be available. So when you say I'm going to be working remotely, it doesn't mean I'm, you know, at the mall or, you know, running errands. It means I'm available and yep. do your job. And if you follow those six words, if you do that work, then everything's good. And if you don't do one of those things, then you're not going to be given the privilege of doing that in the future. So it's that simple. You right, don't need right. six pages. You don't need to get legal and HR involved. You don't need to create a, you know, codicils and you don't need to check, you know, it's basically that simple. So we're trying to simplify almost everything we do. So user centricity is about giving people the freedom to make good choices, treating them like adults and giving them enough bandwidth to get there while anchoring them in the, here are the three things, the six words that you, the anchors, these are the iron fist. You have to do these three, three things in order to have the privilege to do the rest. And the same applies to the way we engage customers, the way we, you know, the uh, laptop upgrade program or the, you know, uh, and so on. So momentum's best interest, um, act like an owner, do the right thing in those spaces. And then we don't get caught in these, uh, you know, loopholes around upgrading that and who's eligible for that. Yeah, no, I think that's fantastic. And, you know, it's, um, uh, it's all too logical, Ralph, uh, all too commonsensical. Um, uh, it just, it really makes sense. I mean, I'm, I'm wholeheartedly in favor of things that don't drive a lot of extra policy that don't actually add value and in, and instead are, are attempting to do for the leader what the leader should be doing with their people in real time on a daily basis. And, um, and then um, when the policy doesn't work with the employees, 
somehow the leader is absolved of the fact that remote employees don't seem to be contributing what they could be contributing. Um, uh, and, and this document is somehow the, the responsibility of the employee, but not the responsibility of the manager or leader. And I, I think the way you guys are approaching it is, is perfect. So that's fantastic. So um, one more uh, quick topic, uh, you know, just recently you joined the advisory council for the group that I'm the chairman of, um, the uh, group building the infinity paradigm document, uh, IDCA technical committee, and in this case, you're on the advisory council. Um, you know, in, in, in a few words, you know, what do you, what was your thinking behind uh, joining and, and, and hoping to contribute? And, and what are your thoughts about um, how or where the, something like the infinity paradigm might be best utilized by companies going through some of the same things that you're going through? Yeah, so one of my favorite sort of tongue in cheek, ironic quotes over the last 30 years has been, uh, you know, the great thing about standards are there are so many to choose from. Yeah. Um, Right, which which I think we all are both you know are kind of frustrated by and have been over time. Um, I look at where we are as an industry, and again, I like to observe patterns, and the pattern, the signals are very clear. We're going through another pivot, if you will, or another. We're entering another era, and that era we had the era of you know kind of mainframe and then distributed, and you know the era of mobile. Um, so we've gone through many of these evolutionary eras where different technologies have shaped the way we organize, the way we deliver, what's expected by consumers in the business. The era we're entering now is dominated by this, um, the underlying technology that's creating uh, capability or things like 5G, Edge, and, uh, and, and the technologies that they enable like ML and AI and uh, these networks of, of interactive sensors, both, uh, both um, uh, device oriented and, and, and 3D oriented. Mm -hmm. Like we're, we're, much of our product set is around 3D sensing and you know, visualizing in a th three-dimensional real-time way the world around us, um, that's going to change everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like everything. Yeah. And I don't want to see chaos evolve as it has done in the past where we spend, we waste several years, five years, 10 years watching, you know, us stumble through three or four or 10 architectures to figure it all out, to finally settle on the two or three that work and all the time and energy wasted to get there. So to me, the infinity paradigm and the IDCA work is really around um, getting smart people together, uh, collective wisdom, people that can see. Uh, it's easy to see the opportunity, um, but you know, one of the roles of IT is to create simplicity out of complexity yeah. and to hide that complexity under the covers. There's so much uh, complexity in front of us in terms of how we configure, manage, uh, uh, deploy, support, uh, 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 secure, these these environments over time and so having thoughtful conversations about that up front sharing experience and best practices up front i think will avoid lots of wasted time and, and frankly lots of lost value for the world at large around uh, that these some of these technologies can can deploy yeah I, I well obviously i couldn't agree with you more i mean as being a part of the organization um but uh, very well stated and um uh, and I, 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 while I hadn't uh, ever phrased it the same way you had relative to the changes we're seeing coming, um, I also couldn't agree more with that in the sense that um, the, the environments we have are so different from the environments we need to get to. And understanding, even as something is as relatively simple 
as how to create uh, an effective starting point for your IT organization as you make some of these transitions um, is hugely important. So, yep. um, Ralph, I, you know, I, I was uh, really enjoyed um, uh, your words today in the conversation and, um, and know how busy you are, know how much you've been on the road recently. And so also appreciate uh, your flexibility in setting aside some time for us. And, um, uh, you know, before I close the session, any final words, any takeaway you'd, you'd like to leave with uh, anybody listening? Well, I, I will say, you know, we've, we've talked, you hear all the time about uh, this is a great time to be a IT leader in, in, in terms of a number of things. I think it's one of those uh, best of times, worst of times deals. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot yeah. coming at us. There's a lot to be on top of. There's a lot to know. Um, uh, you have to thrive on change. You have to be okay with uncertainty to live in this world and, and try to make sense of it. Um, my, my only advice to my peers and to my, my friends in the community is, uh, let's keep doing what we're doing, share what we're doing, share what we're learning. Um, um, I find uh, a great deal of value, uh, both uh, in terms of learning from and stealing great ideas from others, as well as uh, <laughs> the occasional uh, group therapy session uh, yeah. when we're all kind yeah. of frustrated with the with process as well. So uh, there's nothing uh, better than an active community of people who are supporting each other. So uh, keep it yeah. up. Uh, well said. Uh, and again, uh, thank you very much. And for everyone listening, uh, I want to thank Ralph for joining me for this episode. And uh, if you'd like to nominate anyone to join me in a future podcast, uh, email me at podcast at idc-a.org. Uh, until next time, uh, I'm Mark Teeley, and you can find me on Twitter at mteeley10. And Ralph, what about you? Where can people find you online? I'm at, at Ralph Laura on Twitter, and uh, that's Ralph, L-O-U-R-A. Awesome. All right. And folks, I would highly recommend following him. Uh, always great words of wisdom from Ralph uh, in Twitter exchanges, as well as in LinkedIn exchanges that he gets involved in with us uh, on a regular basis. So uh, Ralph, thank you very much. And until next time.